Well, you know, for the past few weeks, we have been learning from the scriptures that the Christian life is filled with a number of challenging hurdles. You know, three weeks ago, Pastor David addressed that pride, pride is the primary source of our problems in life. Not only others are filled with pride, we can easily identify with that, but the real problem is within our own pride. And then two weeks ago, we were reminded from Pastor David that, that through the scriptures, that the antidote in battling this pride is humility. And so often we lack this humility. But thanks be to God that he gives grace to the humble. And we can be encouraged through the scriptures that, that there is an antidote to our pride. And then last week, we learned from Micah that we are in a spiritual battle. I'm sure you are aware of that. But God, again, gives us the means to stand strong based on Ephesians 6. And we are greatly exhorted and encouraged from the word last Sunday. Well, this morning, we're going to see God, God's help on how to live the life of enduring faith. Enduring faith. You know, some of you know that I grew up in, in downtown Seattle on Yesler Way where the term Skid Row first originated. Um, During my formative years between fifth grade and my first year in college, um, my family and I lived in the Skid Row Hotel um, that my father managed. And we were eyewitnesses to many, many men whose lives were tragically shattered as a result of both man's pride and succumbing to Satan's devices in so many awful forms. But it was during my first year in college when I first heard the gospel and the promises and power of God's word and the discovery of the local church and the Christian life. It just opened my world, changed my world. But as a young man in my early 20s, one godly saint whom the Lord used mightily, used this one single, la- uh, single lady who, who ministered to the Japanese-American community during World War II and afterwards. But she approached me near the end of her life. She said, Art, what matters most in the Christian life is not how you begin, but how you finish. You will find Many who begin professing that they love Jesus, but fall away. Make sure, make sure that you love Jesus to the end. Miss Gladys Kaiser was, was an endure, had one who possessed enduring faith. And she modeled for me a pattern of sacrificial service and devotion that I'll never forget. Indeed, many aspire, but few attain. Well, Bernie read this morning chapter 12 of Hebrews in order to just get a better understanding of uh, the context of what we're going to cover this morning. The book of Hebrews is really just a wonderful letter. And it's reminding the Christians of Jewish backgrounds that Jesus Christ is superior in so many ways um, by way of his sacrifice and being sympathetic with our weaknesses. And the writer sought... To encourage and remind those who are struggling to live by faith. And that they're not alone in this struggle. 
You know, doubt and discouragement and de- depression are, are very real, especially in times of, of persecution. And, uh, and that goes for today as well. Those, those issues are very real. So this morning, I want us to consider three aspects of enduring faith and its importance in order to please God with our lives, in order that we may learn to finish well. So I begin by noting that God reminds us that enduring faith has preceded us. And that's looking at past grace. You find that in verse 1. If you look, if you have your Bible open there to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that first half there. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, the writer of the book of Hebrews is pointing to the previous chapter that there are many, there are many who bear testimony of enduring faith. And, and he proceeds to cite examples of men and women in chapter 11, whom God has granted enduring faith, and they gained approval by God. He notes Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, and so on. You know, notice, if you, if you study the, the life of these men and women, notice that none of them were necessarily sinless men, perfect men. They had issues. They all had issues in their lives. You know, you look at some of their backgrounds, from a, a murderer to a prostitute to a deceiver to a man who boasts in his pride to one who is a doubter. You know, God's mercy and grace was extended to ones who trusted upon the only God who can rescue them from themselves of this life. Why do I say this? Because most of these men and women of the past had to endure hardship as well. Life wasn't easy then. There in chapter 11, the writer says, you know, all these all died in faith, not, this is found in verse 13, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus made it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, the author also recalls the life of Moses in, in, in chapter 11 there, proceeding that, that by faith, as, as he looks back, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. You know, the writer there to the book of Hebrews continues on and mentions that enduring faith, (coughs) excuse me, you know, it often led to much suffering and hardship. He explains that 
That life wasn't easy. It says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You know, all that really sounds pretty foreign to most of us today. But for many around the world, that's their present day reality. And historically, that has been a common theme, is that life wasn't easy. You know, the key component uh, to their faith is found later that Bernie read there at the end of chapter 11. And all these, all these men and women who had enduring faith, who preceded us, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, these men of faith in the past did not see the end of the story of God's plan. They were ones who walked by faith and not by sight. You know, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans fifteen four that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through Endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, as we read about these men and women who had enduring faith, at first glance, it may appear that that all these former saints are cheering you on right now as they serve. You know, you look there in verse 1, that this cloud of witnesses. It, it appears that they're, they're the ones cheering you on, but... The writer is trying to explain, no, they're not there. They're, they're ones who are left as examples of ones who receive the grace to endure by faith. In reality, in reality, we are serving an audience of one, our God, who sees all things. In other words, you are not alone, and they were not alone either. So, the point here is that living the life of enduring faith is to first recall that there were others who, who preceded us who had enduring faith. And as you look back in historically, that God provided that grace even for them in the past. Not only that, God provides enduring faith for the present. Point number two, looking at present grace. You find that in the second half of verse one, that let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, the author is looking at the present and and, and, and he invites the readers, he says, by saying, let us also. You know, while this letter was written to Christians of Jewish background, it certainly applies us to us today. Why? Because the temptation for the audience then and for all of us today is, is to revert back to our former ways. 
a, a former way of life of unbelief, of following rituals that involve religious habits without a relationship with the living God. He says, he writes, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. That means a weight um, which so easily entangles us and let us run. You know, the writer uses a sports example and the exhortation there is, is to strip away, strip away or take off those things, those, the clothing, that unnecessary clothing that as you're running, you're not slowed down or distracted. You know, the, the author likens faith to a race. He says, let us run with endurance the race. Interesting to know that that Greek word the, for race is agon, where we get the word agony. In other words, a life of enduring faith in, has, has in mind that pain and suffering are part of the package of the Christian life. Did you know that? Did you know that when you placed your trust in Christ that there was going to be suffering ahead? I thought it was going to be, oh, just coast now. I'm gateway to heaven and, and life is going to be hunky-dory because now God is with us. Who can be for uh, against us? But you know, Besides using this word agon for race, the writer uses another Greek word, hupomeno, which means endurance or perseverance under pressure. In other words, this, this race requires one to bear much weight or pressure. Why? Because the race that every follower of Christ faces is the race against Satan and this sin-filled world. And the, the Bible provides many figures of speech to describe how we ought to live. Last week, Micah just did a wonderful job of helping us to understand that we are to stand firm. And now I'm telling you to run. But, uh, but, um, but last week, we were reminded just to stand firm, to put on the full armor of God. And take a really a defensive posture, not an offensive one in spiritual warfare. But... What the writer notes here is that this race before us is, is really orchestrated by God. How do I know that? The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand, right? That we should walk in them. So God has laid this course before us. But what about the sin that so easily entangles us we read about here? You know, all of us may have particular sins that causes us to stumble. But every sin is really rooted in the sin of unbelief. In other words, unbelief shows up in our life when our actions and words declare that we really don't believe God or we don't really trust his word. And that's why the writer instructs us, it is just imperative to fix our eyes on Jesus in running this race of endurance. Why? Because there is no other name given among men by which we are saved and are being saved. Um, You know, verse 2 tells us that, that Christ is the author and perfecter or completer of this faith. And not only that, 
Christ's work is complete. How do I know that? Because he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What, what does that all mean? It means that when the writer points out in chapter 5 earlier, he, he reminds the, the audience that when Christ had suffered for a time, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he writes this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, that he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he had perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In other words, God is in control. When Christ was raised from the dead and sat, hat, sat down at the right hand of God, he's in control of every detail. We are mindful of the passage that Paul writes in Philippians 1, that he who began a good work what, will what? Complete it or finish it to the, at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, you know, God is working in your life as you place your trust, place your faith in him. John Newton, the author of, of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, understood this from experience as well. You know, he he grew frustrated by the continued sin in his life until it dawned on him that any remaining sin kept him in desperate need of grace. And he writes, quote, The riches of his mercy are more illustrated by the multiplied pardons he bestows upon me, more than if I needed no forgiveness at all, end quote. In other words, that sin just points out that I, I need a Savior all the time. You know, as God provides enduring faith for the present, may we continue to echo this simple quote. I often uh, quote this from a saint who lived in, in a concentration camps during World War II. You may know the name, Corey Tenboom. But this simple phrase has... It's just a simple reminder of what enduring faith looks like in the present. It says, look abroad and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. You know, God reminds us that not only enduring faith has proceeded before us, but God's provides enduring faith for the present. His grace is sufficient even for today. And that leads to the third point, that God promises enduring faith for the future. You find that in verse 3 to 7. It says, he, the author writes, Consider him, who's the him? Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. You know, the word the writer writes there, consider. It's really a command. It's an imperative that it means to analyze, to compare, to, to really think about it over and over again. In other words, examine carefully the life of Christ and his suffering. You know, this week, being the Passion Week, 
It's, just, it's really a most appropriate time for us to, to reflect on what Christ did historically during the last week of his life prior and the events leading to his death and resurrection. In other words, the God whom you placed your faith upon is the very one who understands life's pain due to being sinned upon and sinned against, even from the ones closest to him. And so we look to Jesus. We consider and analyze why. Once again, I look back to what the writer in Hebrews tells us earlier, written in chapter 2. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's, that's you and I who have faith. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able, again, this is now looking future, he is able to help those who are being tempted, both present and future. I'm, I'm reminded just of Paul's words, just echoing the same thing that in, found in Galatians 2, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, the Apostle Peter, writing to the Christians suffering persecution in Asia, he reminds the ones who were suffering then, who were scattered all throughout Asia. He says, he writes in 1 Peter 2, exhorting the Christians there, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, suffer for it you endure, this is gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Why? So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You know, most of us recognize, we do recognize that, that life is sometimes really hard. Not all of our dreams and wishes do come true. There are seasons in our life when it, it can even become really agonizing and long. And we are tempted to ask, Why? Why, God, is life so hard? And many times we, we don't get an answer, but are left with either what? One, trusting God that He is sovereign and in, in control. Or two, we end up believing our doubts about Him and even question about whether God does care. 
But we need to remind ourselves that God allows suffering and pain and disappointment. Why? In order for us to be reminded that this is not our home. You know, in summary, our Heavenly Father is sovereign and He does and He provides testings in our lives, either to reveal the arenas where we must yield to Him or cause us to refocus our priorities in our lives. I think of the life of Job. Job had his world turned upside down with much suffering and calamity. He suffered greatly, and he even faced the discipline of the Lord. But, but Job was able to later confess that, but the Lord knows the way I take, for he has tried me, and I shall come out as gold. You know, God uses those sufferings, those trials, as we endure by faith in order for us to come forth as gold. Oftentimes, I I have to just not only read the scriptures to remind myself, but I I sing the hymns of the faith. And and the hymns of the faith often just convey those very truths of, of just, of enduring faith. I think of this one hymn, the stanza goes, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me. Foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Jesus, what a strength and weakness. Let me hide myself in Him. Tempted, tried, sometimes failing. He, my strength, my victory wins. Jesus, what I hope. In sorrow, while the billows o'er me roll, even when my heart is breaking, He, my comfort, helps my soul. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, that means praise the Lord. What a friend, saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. And you need to sing those or remind yourself as, as you endure faith. So what is enduring faith? Enduring faith means a complete trust and confidence in God and His Word. Because He is true, He cannot lie. Let God be found true, and every man to what? A liar. Hebrews, 1, Hebrews 11, just that chapter earlier, um, Reminds us that now faith is what? It's the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. One Puritan writer by the name of Richard Sibbs says, Faith resting in the power of God quiets the noisy soul. Carrying it to the thing it is made for. Where there's true faith, there's always love and joy and delights in the things believed. Our precious faith is made to embrace precious promises and to carry the whole soul to them, unquote. For, you know, when you are doing, I'm sure uh, as you're doing the daily Bible readings, you um, right now we've been finishing up um, just through Joshua, but as you've been following just the the history of the people of Israel, you saw that that um, 
there was a lot of struggle. And uh, God wanted to give Israel the land of Canaan. But apparently, he wanted to do it through struggle. So he continued to test them to see if they would believe him, to teach them to trust him in their fight. You know, he does the same with us. Though, as Paul reminds us, and and Micah did last week, that our our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but but against spiritual powers. But, But why doesn't God remove our struggles when we become Christians? And the reason why is because he wants us to keep relying on his grace, not on our flesh. As Paul said, some of the weaknesses and trials in our lives are there by design. They really are. They're there by design to keep us humble. Well, the question is not just what is enduring faith, faith in whom? You know, this is an important question, and and I don't want to presume that everyone understands this question. It is only faith through the person of Jesus Christ that is pleasing to God. It is not faith in faith. You know, it's not just have faith or or. Most people, many people use the expression, I just have faith, or I'm keeping up the faith. But it's critical, it's critical to know faith in whom? Not faith in yourself, not faith in Buddha, or in Allah, or Muhammad. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we are saved and are being saved. And I, I say that because the writer in Hebrews there reminds us too that, that in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, through whom also we, he created the world. Earlier, and I, I make a number of reference to the book of Hebrews, because really this whole context of just looking at of enduring faith found here in chapter 12 it's all making reference to the past, uh, past the 11 chapters. But in Hebrews 2, the writer reminds us that now in putting everything in subjection to Christ, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In other words, Christ is there. He understands. He understands our, he knows what it is to suffer, to endure faith. I think of Paul, the apostle, who says, For I know whom I have believed, that I am convinced he is able to guard until that day, what has been entrusted to me. Why is enduring faith so important? Why is it? I'm going to give you three reasons why it is important, why enduring faith is so important. And the number one reason it is, is it's found in Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So why is it important to have enduring faith? Because it is the only means to please God. Second reason why it is important to have enduring faith. 
It is God's means to help us see our <clears throat> dependence on Him alone. The writer again in Hebrews 3 reminds us in Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come here to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. One Puritan pastor by the name of Thomas Watson, um, he warned his congregation, he said, Take heed of presuming your faith. Fear begets prayer. Prayer begets strength. And strength begets steadfastness. In other words, when you take that posture of humility by praying, what you're doing, as Watson notes, is that the lower the... He uses the illustration. The lower the tree roots in the truth, the firmer it is. So more the soul is rooted in humility the more established it is, and it is in less danger of falling, of falling away. Why is enduring faith so important? It is God's mean to help us to see our dependence on Him. The Puritans understood this very well. And, and one writer notes that the Puritans taught that for anyone to expect to be preserved without using the God-appointed means of grace is really to insult God and to trifle with His grace. We are called to live a life of dependency. Apart from Him, we can do nothing because we are nothing outside of Christ. So why is enduring faith important? It is because it's the only means to please God. Second, it is God's means to help us to see our dependence. But third, it serves to remind us they are, we are one step closer to seeing Jesus as either our judge or our friend. You know, at the end of the chapter of chapter 12 there, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. We often quote, it is appointed for man to die, what? Once. And then comes the judgment. We use that when we share the gospel, that there's only one life to live. But we often forget to quote the next part of Hebrews 9, 27. Verse 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who, what? Who are eagerly waiting for him. Why, in, why is enduring faith so important? Because it serves to remind that, us that we are one step closer to either Jesus being our judge or really our friend. Are you eagerly waiting for him to come? Well, th- perhaps the final question you're asking is, is how, how do you cultivate this enduring faith? And I'm glad you asked. And I'm going to give you six practical steps. How do you cultivate and you know who I have in mind as I address this whole topic of enduring faith is I really have many of you who are much younger than I am. Um, I'm in my 50s. And uh, 
But I look around in this audience, and there are many who have come to faith perhaps in the last few years, last five years. And I, I, th- I think of you, that you have a life ahead, and you need enduring faith. Because life isn't easy, and it won't get easy or easier. Don't believe that, that lie. You will be tested. And so how do you cultivate enduring faith? Number one, it, reading the scriptures. Reading or hearing the scriptures. Faith comes from what? Hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. You know, as you read and meditate on his word. Um, number two, I'm going to quickly go through this. Um, as Number two, practice worship. And what I mean that both corporately and individually, through prayer through just giving thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Um, and singing. Um, singing just the attributes of God and His truth and His love for you. And and we do that, you know, every Sunday. We do that corporately. We sing. And I, I often say that we sing as it's all dress rehearsal. For one day we're going to be singing for all eternity. And so if you're not practicing worship now, you're not going to be practicing it then. And you need to cultivate this of, of pract, practical worship through the reading of the scriptures, as I said, practicing worship. Third is to self-examine your priorities. Talking about earlier when we read in Hebrews 12 about laying aside every encumbrance or that weight that, um, that, that really they distract your priorities. You've often heard the um, t- phrase, good is often the enemy of the best. And what I, that oftentimes the amount of time you give means something else is being given up. Too often they are the very things that under, undermine your priorities and even your faith. And so you need to self-examine your priorities. Number four, this is critical, kill sin before it kills you. That's uh, one that is often quoted from the Puritan John Owen. You are to mortify the flesh or, or you are to flee youthful lust. You are to put off the deeds of the flesh. You are to cut off bad company since it corrupts good morals. Whatever it takes, kill sin before it kills you. Fifth, I want to exhort you, read biographies, both biblical and historical. Um, I say that because even, even the, um, the Apostle James says, we count, in James five eleven, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. You know, when I encourage you to read biographies, it's, I'm not just trying to encourage you to read about great men and women of the faith. It's not really necessarily just about them. It's really about the God who interceded in their lives so that they can have that enduring faith and to just inspire you to live your life sacrificially, to recognize that, that the God whom they worshipped is the same God who you worship today. So I encourage you to just, and if you want a reading list, I can give you a, 
Or Pastor Dave can give you a list of great books to read, Men and Women of the Faith. Six, and this is a practical thing you can do right after this service. Meet, interview, and fellowship with other members of the body of Christ. You know, especially the seniors, those maybe older in the faith than you, than you are. And there are quite a few here. Many of them have great stories to tell. Not necessarily about how successful they were in life. Oftentimes it's about the pain, the mistakes, the regrets, the sorrows. But if they're here this morning, I trust that they will undoubtedly say, though, but our God reigns. God is faithful. God has been merciful. I exhort you. We have many God has provided here whom you can go and tell me. Tell me how it is to walk by faith. What's it like to lose someone whom you've loved dearly? You know, Barbara Maddox, Roland, when Barbara passed away last week, talking to Roland, married to Barbara for 70 and a half years. Talking about enduring faith. Even in the last few weeks of their lives, Roland, it was, it was hard for Roland. But Roland said, I made a commitment and God will sustain me. Um, and I just praise God for different members of the body of Christ here who have endured faith and who, have, who God has given enduring faith. Let me close with an illustration. You know, a few weeks ago here in Los Angeles, we had the Los Angeles Marathon. And, and thousands of people participated. And many of you probably know the history of, of the marathon and how, how the, uh, and for those of you who don't, I'll, I'll tell you the rest of this story. The marathon originated back in the year 490 BC. The Persian army was ready to expand their territory, territory and move to all over uh, Europe. They landed a large force just outside of Athens on the plains of Marathon and prepared to attack the Athenians, vastly outnumbered, desperately needed the help of Sparta's military base to help them fend off the attack. Time was short, so the Athenian generals sent this man, Pheidippides, as a professional runner, to, to go to Sparta for help. And so he went running there. It was 140 miles of mountainous terrain. And he ran the course and was able to um, ask for help, but the, uh, Sparta was not ready to give that help. They, they needed some time. And, and so he had to run back that 140 miles and tell the bad news. And, and, uh, and then he had to face a battle. Um, the Athenian army um, marched to the plains of Marathon to prepare this battle against the oncoming Persians. The Athenian army was outnumbered four to one, but they launched a surprise offensive uh, attack, and and it, you know it seemed crazy, but but they end up winning this battle, and um, the surviving Persians fled to sea, and, and they were now headed to Athens, uh, where they hoped to attack the city before the Greek army could reassemble there. So Pheidippus, who just ran 140, 280 miles, and now was um, was in the battle. He was called again to run to Athens, about 25 miles away. 
to carry the news of the victory and warn about the approaching Persian ships. Despite his fatigue after his recent run to Sparta, Philippus rose to the challenge. He pushed himself past his normal limits of human endurance, and he reached Athens, running the entire distance without stopping. And he came to the assembly and said, Ninikaman, I don't know if I pronounced that right, uh, but it's, it's, we have won victory before collapsing and dying shortly thereafter from exhaustion. And, and Sparta eventually came to the aid of the Athenians and eventually they were able to turn back the Persian um, army to, that was seeking to conquer Greece. You know what's so significant about that whole event, though, is that Phidippus is... Uh, this guy, I'll just say. <laughs> his effort and his vital message that we have won was the rallying cry to the Greek army to fight back the Persians. And what's so significant of that is that that stop was the major influence of retaining the Greek culture, the Greek language, the New Testament as we know in terms of the language, and and. It was all as a result of one man coming, enduring, and yelling out, victory. Why do I share this story? Because how much more of a message do we have to a world without hope that is dying before our very eyes, that faces the wrath of God and judgment, let alone the continual enslavement of Satan's deception and rule? We have a message. Do you know that? You have a message of hope. You can announce. We can announce. We have victory. We have one. Why? Because God in Christ has conquered death, our final foe. He's conquered Satan through his resurrection as we celebrate next week. Not only that, Christ has paid the penalty of our sin through his death in exchange for ours. He was crucified in our place. So, our gospel message can change the world. It can change history. It can change the destiny of many people in this world. Brothers and sisters, we you know, you were created and placed in, in the history for such a time as this to declare the glory of God and shine as his witness, declaring that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That he drew you out of the pit of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. So, you know, as you run this race of enduring faith, may God help you to to keep your gaze heavenward towards Jesus. Because this is not our home. We are sojourners. We're pilgrims. You You may be asking the question, though, when you're going through suffering and And you've heard me say this before. Is it worth it? Is it worth following Christ? Is it worth this enduring faith? And really that is not the question you should be asking. It should be, is he worthy? Is Christ worthy of enduring even momentary light afflictions? He is indeed. That's why we come to be reminded when we come corporately to worship. He is worthy. And God has given you, and he's given all of us this enduring faith. Why? Because 
he has pre- pre- presented to us that there are others before us who have proceeded. He gives enduring faith for the present. And he has promised enduring faith for the future. I think of what the Apostle Paul says at the end of his life. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think of John the Apostle who says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. May God help you and I to have that enduring faith. Let me close here in a word of prayer and then ask Mike to close us in a song. Our gracious God and Father, we we need you. And we thank you when you provide your word to us to remind us that very fact that we need you and you give us the grace to walk by faith and not by sight. You give us enduring faith. You've given enduring faith in the past. You give enduring faith for the present. And you will give enduring faith for the future. For you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. I think of the hymn of where the hymn writer says, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, hereby faith in him to dwell. For I know, I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. Oh God, help us to have that kind of enduring faith. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.